morning. So grab your Bible, head over to Luke chapter 3 we're going to be in today. Uh, I titled the sermon today, The, the Begots. Uh, the Begots. Not to be confused with the bigots, if you're not sure what that means. We'll get to it here in a minute. That'd be a very different sermon. Um, so the word begot, though, is just the, the past tense of the word beget, uh, which in this sense means to, to bring a child into the world. Uh, it was uh, the word that was used by the King James Version when listing off generations of, uh, of families one after another, like in Genesis 4.18, where we see uh, Methuselah begot Lamech, uh, or, or the massive list in First Chronicles chapter 6. Uh, the English Standard Version, however, doesn't use the word begot. It uses the word fathered instead. So you, you, you're going to miss out on that in our, our more modern translations. Now, technically, here in Luke 3, the word begot isn't even being used. If you were to break out the King James here, you wouldn't see the word begot here. Um, because the, the, most of the begots list actually begin with the oldest person in the list and work their way forward, in which case they are, um, you know, to the most recent person. And, and, and so it works that way with begot. But in Luke's list, he actually starts with Jesus, the most recent person in the list, and works backwards in time. And so we end up missing the word begot there. Uh, so I'm using it for a title today simply because that's the way these genealogies have come to be known uh, most commonly to us. Uh, now, before I, I read these names, I, I should probably let you know, um, well, you know those, those Indiana Jones movies? You remember, he's afraid of something. What's he afraid of? All right, you all know that very well. Uh, the last thing he wants to see when he goes and opens a door into some place is a whole bunch of snakes. Uh, and, and I've got to say that as a, uh, like my fellow Texan, rather, George W. Bush, right? Uh, you might know that he is quite the pronunciator of words, uh, such as strategery. Uh, my fear in, in the world is to actually have to pronounce difficult words and difficult names. If you were here last week, uh, you're probably very well that with the word chaff. <laughs> anyway, I, I feel like Indiana Jones right now as I look at our passage. I'm opening the door and I see this pile of hard to pronounce names. And, and I'm just thinking, names, why did it have to be names? And so I'm just going to confess ahead of time. I'm going to be using a, a, a method we were taught in seminary. And the idea was this. If you don't know how to pronounce a name, just rest in the fact that hardly anyone else knows how to pronounce it. Say it confidently and move forward. Don't look back. So I'm going to do my best to do that as we read through these names, beginning in Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Madhat, the, uh, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jenai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Joan, the son of Resh, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kazim, the son of Elamadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Maphat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elakim, the son of Meli, the son of Mina, the son of Mephath, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, 
the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sherug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mephalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. It's one of the greatest feats of my life. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Lord God, this is your word. And you give it for our edification. You give it for our correction, for our training in righteousness. You give it so that we may understand the way of salvation, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. We, We ask that by your spirit, you would enlighten our minds to understand it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I told my wife, Laura, what the passage was this week, her only response was, nobody likes the bagats. That's the encouragement I got. Uh, and she's right, though, isn't she? I mean, if we're honest about it, what do, what do you do in your personal Bible reading when, when you get to one of these bagats? What do you do with it? Do you find yourself just right through it? Get to the end? Do you just skip it completely thinking, I don't know, just get to the next section? I mean, think about it. Is today the first time you've actually ever read all the names in one of these long bagat lists? And I don't say that to shame anybody. That, that, that's just how we approach the genealogy list. That's the way we tend to come to these things, my, myself included. That's always my temptation. They're, they're probably the most skipped passage in all of Scripture when, when people are reading through the Bible. In, in fact, I'll say this. If, if we were a church who preached only topical sermons, this passage we have before us today is, is one of those passages that would never be preached ever. A hundred years, two hundred years, that would never be the passage we decided to preach on. And yet this passage, too, is part of what Paul in Acts 20, 27 uh, calls the whole counsel of God, which is to be proclaimed, which is to be declared to God's people. In, In other words, God through Luke includes this list for our good. It tells us something about who we are. It tells us something about who Jesus is. It, it tells us about God's cosmic plan of redemption in a way that if it were not here, we would miss. And so we're going to look at it a little deeper today. First thing we see before it even gets to the names is it tells us that, that Jesus begins his public ministry here around the age of 30. It's really not a big surprise. That's the same age that Joseph began serving the Pharaoh. That's the same age that David becomes the king of Israel. That's the same age that that Levites began their priestly duty in the temple when they would get to that age. And then we're told that Jesus is the son of Joseph. Only there's a little qualifier there in the parentheses, right? What's it say? As was supposed. Now, now all that means there, it just means that people thought that Joseph was Jesus' biological father. But in reality, which we've already seen in Luke, Jesus was a, mirac- was, was a miracle of conception. And so while Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father, he, he, he was his father legally, he was his father socially, he was his father relationally, and that's the way the people in the, in the area viewed this. Um, from this point forward, then, this passage is simply a list of 75 names. Um, now, as we're looking at this, try to remember this, that Luke is writing this, this gospel to a man named Theophilus. 
A man who is most likely a, a Roman official of some ranking. A man who's shown some interest in Jesus and wants to know about him. And so Luke is explaining to this Theophilus, and, and us as well, anyone who's going to read this later, he's explaining who Jesus is. So let me, let me ask you a question then. If you're out with a friend, let's say it's a, it's a Friday morning and, and you have a hankering for an old-fashioned donut. And it's the only day you can get it at varsity, so you go over there. And you're waiting in line and someone across there waves at you. And you wave back and your friend's with you. Uh, you know, and your friend asks, well, who's that? What's the first way you would, you would go to describe them? What's the first bit of information we tend to give about someone when, when just introducing who they are to someone? You know, what, what do you say? They, they own the chef down on 4th Street? He works at Alliance Realty. She, she's a professor at K-State. He's a pilot in the Army, something of that nature. Uh, nature. We, we tend to explain people by this is their job. This is, this is what they do for a living. But it's not always been that way in, in history. Not, not even in recent American history has it always been that. I, I can remember as a child, uh, we, at Thanksgiving, we go to visit my grandmother, and uh, she still lived in my father's hometown, the town of uh, Charleston, Missouri. Not a real big town, but uh, as we drove around that town, my dad would point out houses, and he'd point out people, and he'd, he'd explain who they are, and, and he'd define them by, by the way that they're related to previous generations, other people which we thought was kind of weird because we didn't know the other people either. Uh, but, but that's the way he would do it. Th those two boys, those are, the, uh, those are Alfred's sons, uh, grandkids of, of Herb and Nina Marshall. He'd begin to explain this to us. Um, and, you know, to an even greater degree, though, that, that's how people were defined in biblical times. They were defined by the people they were related to. And so, and so, as, Jesus, and so as Luke here, rather, is telling us about Jesus, he's, he's telling us who Jesus' people are who his family is. And, and he does this, not, by, uh, not at the very beginning of this, of this book, right? But three chapters into this gospel, suddenly he stops and goes back to tell us who Jesus' people are. The, the placement of this is quite unusual, but, but it's also quite significant. We're going to come back to that. But first, I, I want to tell you that, that in Matthew's gospel, it, it actually begins with a begots list a genealogy of who Jesus is. And yet, if you were to go to Matthew and look at that, it's a different list. It's not the same list, which might concern you for a moment. But I assure you, there's absolutely no cause for concern here because these names are not randomly different. They're not sporadically different through us, but through it, but they are distinctly and intentionally different. And the thing going on here is, is these lists are, are really two different lists. And they come together, though. They're, they're almost like, like two different highways. You ever been driving down the highway and suddenly your highway is sharing another road, another pavement with another highway? And then they break off and go a different direction. It's a, a little bit like that. They, they both start with, with Joseph and Jesus right at the very beginning. And, and then they go off in different directions. And then they converge again at King David. Now, at that point, Matthew's, uh, Matthew's list goes all the way to Abraham, and then it just becomes a dead end. And while Luke's list that we're looking at here today goes all the way to the end of the line. It goes all the way to, to Adam, who was created by God. And, and so they're two very different lists in that regard. And, and you might ask that question, why, why are these two lists different? Sorry, I'm looking for my wire. It's driving me nuts back here. So we're wondering... Why are these two lists different? The, the answer is that the same reason you'd have two lists if you trace your 
genealogy backwards as well. What one list follows his father's lineage, Joseph, and in the other list follows his mother's lineage, Mary's. Matthew records Joseph's genealogy, but Luke, who knows so much more about, about Mary we see throughout this gospel, likely from speaking with her himself, Luke records Mary's genealogy. You see, Healy here is not Joseph's father, but Mary's father. And strictly speaking, Jesus' biological heritage is in fact through Mary, not Joseph. And you see, the reason it begins with Joseph's name there is because genealogies at the time were kept by using the names of the males who were the head of the household in each of these situations. That's why it begins with, with Matthew's, or Joseph's name there. And so Matthew traces Jesus' paternal genealogy, and Luke traces Jesus' maternal genealogy. Now, the reason that these two lists come together at, at the point of David is, is because Joseph and Mary were actually relatives of each other. A little weird at first, right? We're not talking like your friends in Arkansas or East Texas kind of relatives, but very, very distant relatives. Uh, that's why these lists converge at King David, right? That, that King David, it also shows us that uh, the way they converge is the fact that, that Jesus is, in fact, has a double claim to the throne of Israel through his paternal line and through his maternal line. And so then we, we still have an unanswered question here, right? Why place Jesus' genealogy here? Why wait so long? Doesn't it make sense to put it at the very beginning? So I'll ask you a question here. Do you remember what, what comes right before this genealogy? In other words, if you were here last week, do you remember anything about the sermon last week? Um, it was Jesus' baptism. Where we learn with this absolute certainty about Jesus, that he is uniquely divine, that he is truly the son of God, that becomes so clear to us. In fact, the father says to him, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This solid affirmation that Jesus is indeed fully divine. We also read in Luke one thirty two at the very beginning, right, that, that Jesus is the son of the most high. And three verses after that, that he is the son of God. But to really know who Jesus truly is, we need to at this point, we need to know that Jesus isn't just God pretending to be man. But that Jesus is indeed fully human. Not just wrapped in flesh, but actually truly is flesh like you and me. Here we see that because, because we see that Jesus has this family tree with real people on it. Nearly, what, 20 years ago now, the, the Wycliffe Bible translators were in Papua New Guinea and they were, they were translating uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew, not Luke, but the Gospel of Matthew, and they decided just to skip the Bagats, right, like the rest of us, because they just seemed so unimportant, they seemed boring, and they went straight to chapter 2 and began translating this into this tribe's native language. Now, near the very end of that, that project, they, they went back to translate chapter 1 because they wanted to finish it all. And so they gathered together some of the people in the tribe and they began asking them, what is the best way for us to translate this word begot into your, your native language? And, and the tribe's people re, 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 remained there as they began doing the translation afterwards. They, were, you know, they saw Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Jacob. And, and by the time they had translated just six of the begots, the tribes people were suddenly really excited and the translators didn't really know what's going on until finally one of the tribes people asked them, do you mean that these are real men? 
And they told him, yes, yes, they're real men. And the tribe told him, that's what we do. We keep track of our families that way. We thought these were just white men's stories. They didn't realize it was even a true story. See, it turns out these, these boring begots turned out to be, you know, this hugely significant for the tribe as they later come to believe the, the gospel of Christ. Because real people have real genealogies. And it showed them that Jesus, Jesus is not fiction. He's history. This is his people. This is his family. See, modern evangelicals are, are quick to defend the truth that Jesus Christ is God. And we should but we also, in the process, tend to minimize or even question whether Christ was really humanity, human. Wayne Grudem, speaking of Jesus, uh, his humanity, he wrote this. He said, it is by far the most amazing miracle in the whole Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal God, of, uh, a son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever. So that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. Martin Luther, who's usually long-winded, actually says something similar, much shorter. He said it this way, The mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. And all he means by that is that the, the details are beyond our understanding. But, but that he indeed is fully human, that, that we can know. That we can know with certainty because God reveals that to us with certainty in his scriptures. So let me ask you about the names on this list. Do you, do you recognize the names on this list? Some of you having children, you want to find some names on this list? Um, about half the names on this list are mentioned nowhere else in the scripture. We don't know anything about them except for they're in Christ's genealogy. But the other half are, are mentioned in various places. Some of these men we, we tend to think of as heroes of the faith, right? And, and in some regard they are because they, they believe the promises of God, even in the face of difficult situations. Yet think about this. This list of names we're seeing here, this is, this is the family line of Jesus and it's easy for us to believe that, that these people, that they're all just amazing. But if you know anything about the names on this list, you begin to see that this is a list of sinners. And significantly so. I mean, look at some of these names. Noah, right? If you know him from Sunday school, he's a righteous man, right? He gets on the boat, he's saved because he's a righteous man. And sure, he was before the flood. Afterwards, he becomes an absolute drunkard. Judah, he has a, Judah has a relationship with a prostitute who turns out to be his daughter-in-law. Abraham was routinely a liar and a coward. His father, Terah, you know, listed here in our, our list here, he worshipped idols instead of the true God of Israel. Jacob was a shady, scheming liar of all sorts. David committed adultery, and then he doubled down committing murder to try to cover it up. Boaz's mother, Rahab, was a prostitute before she had him. This list is just riddled with these kind of stories. You know, some of you think your family might have some bad history. This is the family of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He comes from this, this long line of scoundrels who are, who are deeply in need of grace and in need of a Savior who can bring about the forgiveness, who can, who can give them the righteousness they need. But it's also our history as well. Right? To various degrees, we all come from a long line of scoundrels in some regard. And this should be hope to you, particularly those of you that, that come from families with all sorts of messy issues in your life. The, the messy isn't just our relatives either, right? The, the names on this list, they look a lot like us. You know, people who enjoyed life most of the time, but they also faced sorrows. People that were stressed about tomorrow and the future and what's coming next. People who faced difficult situations of all sorts. Not, not only that, but, but this list is of people who at, at various ages and by various causes end up dying. Everyone on that list died. At this point, only Christ was resurrected. The, the same is going to happen with us. You and I will die and, and this life will be no more. And, and why mention this as we look at this? And, and I mention it for one simple reason, because that's the point of Jesus becoming fully human. That's the whole point. H Hebrews 2.17 says that, that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of, of the people. To save us, he had to become one of us. And so we can be grateful to God that, that while we live in a world where all living things are constantly dying, we, we are able to turn to Jesus who is a living Savior and who gives us faith. So that through the union with Christ that we have, we, we will live with him forever in his kingdom forever. Uh, John 14, 19 says this. It says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. And he's talking eternally. You see, in this giant list of scoundrels, we can be grateful that Jesus is also in the genealogy. Now, one last bit of significance to these names and, and, and their placement in the gospel, and, and then we'll close out today. Um, While well, Matthew traces Jesus' lineage back from Abraham, right? Or back to Abraham, rather. He, he's doing so to emphasize his Jewish history, to emphasize his, his rightful place as the, as the king of Israel. Um, Luke's list, though, as I told you earlier, goes back to the first man. It goes back to Adam, to, to his creation by God, thus, thus displaying that, that Jesus is... Not just a savior for the Jews, but the, Jew, but the savior for all of humanity. I mean, to be sp more specific about the way this ends, it just it terminates in God. Verse 38, the, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the only genealogy in all the scripture that, that ends with God at the very beginning. And, and so Adam, as the very first man... Here, here is actually being referred to as the Son of God. Because, because who was Adam's father, right? Who was his father? Where, where did he come from? He was uniquely from God. That's the whole reason we have that silly question, right? Did Adam have a belly button? Because he wasn't born. That's, that's the point there, right? So, so you surely remember then that, that Adam, the first man created by God, that he was tempted by Satan in this lush garden and he failed miserably. And thus every boy and girl that was born from that day forward was born with a sinful nature. And so, so there has to be a, another man who can also be called the Son of God if he is to be the Redeemer for, for humanity. 
for humans, for people. And so you, you remember that just before the, this genealogy, we saw the baptism of Jesus. Do you know what comes after this? If you've got your Bible open, you can look down there. We can see what Luke follows up the genealogy with. Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. That sound familiar to you? The Son of Man, the Son of God, being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Jesus in the New Testament is referred to as the last Adam. Often we refer to him as the second Adam. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 15.45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. There is this connection between, between Adam and between Jesus. Luke is making that connection for us in this genealogy as it runs from one to the other. Just, just before we read about the, the, the second Adam, who is Jesus, you know, being tempted in the, in, in the, in the wilderness by Satan. That's, that's the reason it's right here where it happens to be in this gospel. Only it's a little different because only this time, instead of a lush garden, he's out in the wilderness. And, and this time, instead of being tempted once, he's tempted three times. And this time, spoiler alert, Jesus, the second Adam, the son of God, who is fully God and fully man, this time he succeeds. He resists the temptations of Satan. And we're going to get into that passage next week in a bit more detail. Um, but, but in Romans 5.17, it gives us the full picture of Adam's failure and Jesus' victory. It says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So we're going to end this with just a really short poem written by Kent Hughes, not me, you're safe. Um, and let me just preface it by this, because I think the terminology will confuse us sometimes. Uh, women, when you hear the word son in the last two lines here, understand that that includes you as well. He writes this. He says, Christ, the son of God, became a son of Adam, that we, the sons of Adam, might become sons of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the work of redemption you planned before creation, for the work you have been bringing to fruition through each generation leading up to Jesus and since. May our hearts always run to our Savior, your Son. We ask this in the name of, of Jesus, the Son of Joseph, the Son of Healy, Son of David, son of Abraham, son of Adam, the son of God. Amen.